Welcome to People, Places, and How We Use Spaces, where we chat with amazing, successful people whose stories inspire us. As a bonus, all of our guests have something to teach us about commercial real estate based on their own experiences. I am your host, Lisa Christensen. My companies help business owners, developers, and investors buy, sell, and lease space. Today's episode of People and Places and How We Use Spaces, I'm joined by my guest, Steve Wellington. Steve founded Wellington Management in 1984. Since that time, he has purchased or developed more than 100 properties. Steve is an active community volunteer and civic leader, and I'm grateful he took the time to chat and share his story and expertise with us. Before we get started, I really want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. I would really appreciate it if you would follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now I'd like to give a warm welcome to Steve Wellington. Hey there, how you doing, Lisa? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, of course. You know, I think you're the most educated podcast guest I've had on this show. That's kind of a scary thought. (laughs) Oh, well. That put me in a doghouse? No, I'm just, I'm excited that we all can learn from you. So. I'll I'll give it my best, you know, but uh, this is an industry, of course, that you learn by doing. You really do. Going to school. You do, but you have a you have a pretty good education background. I do. Yeah. A couple of graduate degrees, you know. Yeah. And like, you know, Yale and Stanford and UM, like, you know, Covered pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of got to make sure that you have all the, all the Ivies covered. Exactly. <laughs> so you went to school and then after school you started kind of in the planning, like working with cities. Is that what, is that what you did or where'd you, what'd you yeah, do? Yeah, I, you I, school? uh. We moved out here. Both uh, Kathy and I were from Boston. We moved out here for graduate school to go to the Humphrey Institute. So I was very interested in public policy, still am. And I worked uh, after that two-year degree, which was a really good education for George Latimer, who was still a good friend. He's uh, still alive. Wow. He flunked hospice. (laughs) He was 89 years old in Episcopal Church homes. Just still very engaged with the community and ideas, but struggling physically. He's got bypasses, prostate cancer, and all kinds of issues, but he's still cooking. Wow. And, uh, what a great experience. Amazing. So it was uh, four years in the mayor's office, and then I was uh, a deputy director of the city's development agency. Now. City of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, PED. And uh, learned quite a lot by just sitting across the table from other developers uh, that I thought they were of leading an interesting life. And, you know, they weren't, as you mentioned, you know, deeply educated. They were just motivated and practical. It seemed like uh, more of a hands-on type of life than sitting in a law office uh, drafting briefs or being a doctor or a salesman of some sort for the finance industry. I thought, well, building things would be appealing. And so I eventually uh, decided that I needed more education (laughs) <laughs> and uh, went on to Stanford for uh, MBA, and it was very helpful. They have a strong real estate program there. Really? And it was the time when I'm sure that uh, no one here in this room remembers where computers were kind of a new idea. <laughs> and I remember buying my first computer, which was $5,000. Wow. This big box. And uh, but what uh, that enabled me to do is write a letter or a proposal uh, to the 
math for accounting and not have have a lot of staff. And anything that had a 10-year projection on a spreadsheet, bankers would say, oh, this is the truth. Mm. So it, it sounds like I'm being frivolous about it, but because that particular skill, which we now assume is pretty typical for a lot of people in our industry, that was really not the way bankers evaluated. Really? Interesting. So as soon as they saw, well, you can project financially and have those in columns, well, of course, I've never seen a 10-year pro forma that actually was anywhere near what was expected. <laughs> right. So you just, but you had assumptions. We carried the day with a loan committee. And Interesting. So I was uh, you know, connecting with partners and just uh, kind of started identifying buildings that might be interesting to. So that's what you did first is redevelopment. You, what was your first? Do you remember your first project? Keenly. <laughs> oh, geez. So I was working at, for about a year, and I was putting food on the table by doing some brokerage and consulting. Okay. Consulting, I, I really could have uh, just gone in that direction because anybody who can write and do the math at the same time is going to get hired to do it. And uh, so I had people asking me to work as a consultant, but it was not something that I really enjoyed particularly. And so I started looking around at buildings, and uh, they both closed uh, a year and three weeks after I started the company on December 23rd, oh, wow. 1985. Why do I remember? That was when I signed personal guarantees for $5 million. You know, oh, jeez. You said, started small. Why, why do they give me the money? <laughs> How does that work, Lisa? You know, tons of capital, but yeah. They had uh, good partners and recommended, and uh, the bankers trusted us. And one was a small bank building on Como Avenue in St. Paul, and the other was a historic res- renovation in downtown St. Paul. Wow! Couple of office buildings. Wow! And they're still around and functioning well. And lessons learned on those first projects. Uh, partnerships, I think that really was key to build trust and insight from others and. Essentially, just uh, two different groups on a particular group. And I did learn that the best partnerships aren't some big outfit out of New York, but they're just people here that, you know, uh, are interested for more of a long-term approach. We weren't as interested in building and then flipping as it is, you know, gradually building a portfolio of properties. Yeah, you're, I mean, you hold most of your assets. Yeah, we got about 110 buildings. Wow. You know, it's like, how did that happen? Right, and that's what we're trying to find out today. How did that happen? Oh, you can. You, you should tell me. I mean, how, <laughs> how, could, how could that possibly be? I mean, that's amazing. I mean, you're the tenth largest management company in the Twin Cities, and you really went off on your own and and just figured it out. I mean, yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah, well, I think development I is one of the, the hardest things. People in software or technology or medicine complicated, but this is really just nuts and bolts. Finding space for organizations or for people identifying what's a good location, which and then plans straight with the partners and the bankers. Yeah. I think it's uh, conceivable that anybody with that kind of motivation. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the projects that you have kind of a air for community development and being a good community partner, I think seems like it's something that you value. Yeah, we've tackled some pretty challenging areas. Uh, and so we probably get more attention to when we're dealing in uh, renovating an older building or 
you know, trying to uplift a particularly hoofed up portion of either center city or a suburban area. But we did diversify and we do have a fair amount of, you know, there's a big shopping center in Medina that we own and happy about. We're out in Chaska and Woodbury has about 16 of our buildings there. We oh, really? There and we built a lot of retail in North Oaks. Bought, it, bought the land from the people who were the heirs to James J. Hill. And really? Just, uh, they owned all of North Oaks, which is a farm where that family owned the whole. So it was a variety that of That had things. to be an interesting transaction. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very interesting. But that's community, not, not to anything but the compliments the way they've managed it. But they don't believe in having streets owned from the homeowners association, streets and sewers are things that the government doesn't need. Wow, very different. That is approach. very different. Interesting. Is there a project that you are the most proud of? Is there? Do you have favorites like children, or do you like just say I can't pick a favorite? Hard <laughs> to pick a favorite. You know, the burning of the building that burned down on Lake Street is had a pretty big impact on us. That was a challenge. It was an apartment project, as you probably know, and 189 units right there after George Floyd uh, was uh, murdered. It, everybody was misbehaving. You know, they were busting into the stores, and, and we had a shopping center in that had tenants in it. And uh, this particular project was uh, topped out about three quarters completed, and 20 million bucks was smoked. So, not my favorite, right? But it had impact on not just me and son David, but um, the employees at the company. Yeah, that was... We, they all just jumped in. They were carting around some people that needed to moved out of a senior housing project that we owned to hotels because of the danger. And both David and I were down there at 12 o'clock midnight. I remember. You know, seeing the people throwing Molotov cocktails in the windows and starting the place on fire. It was a dangerous... An unfortunate situation that rebuilt and we feel like that's a big accomplishment to kind of go through such a very challenging situation. We weren't planning on being on the front of the New York Times with a burning building. You know, that community is still working to pull itself together. And we're still there with quite a number of properties in that area. So. Yeah. I remember talking to your son, David, and you guys were down there every morning and, you know, just... It was just disbelief. Yeah, literally baptism by fire. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So your son's in the business. That's got to be fun and challenging and interesting. And yeah, we were all kind of worried about it. We had a perfectly good relationship with him. And so we called him, you know, Kathy is the third member of what we call the Troika. <laughs> uh, I don't know which, but... Uh, you know, she was just wanting to make sure that the family stayed glued together. We didn't get fighting. And so we called in some HR consultants who uh, very appropriately said, you know, the secret is communication. <laughs> blah, so blah. we, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, more. Yeah. Uh, and then we found that we had these meetings, and there were two or three of them we were kind of interviewing, and they all kind of said that basic issue. And then we did all the talking, the three of us. <laughs> And then we discovered, you know, maybe you don't need a consultant. I'm not trying to be frivolous about it. But, uh, but that's been an important 
used to three of us actually get together, have dinner every six or eight weeks. It's all about who's working for the company, the personnel, and are we piling on too much or going in the wrong direction? Yeah. That seems to work out, okay? And that sounds like really good advice. It's just common sense, really. But, but it's there have been a lot easier of, than said than done. I mean, yeah, I think even whether it's a partnership with uh, you know, two real estate people or family members, you, know, you just have to communicate effectively and have common objectives. Yeah. And I think uh, to your point about the nature of the company, we have stressed values from the beginning. I uh, just wanted to give back as well as uh, take on challenging opportunities. Those. Uh, Values also help you stay glued together and focused on what you're doing. Yeah. And you're pretty involved in front of a philanthropy situation. You know, do you, have, you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that, you're, that you do and your impact on the community? Well, I did start a nonprofit called Beacon Interfaith Housing. We, they've now done about 600 units of affordable housing, but I started that and got the board together and started raising money. It was a spinoff from our church, uh, Plymouth Church in Minneapolis, and Beat up nursing home across the street. We purchased. I remember standing in front of the congregation. They were sort of shocked. They said, We have $54,000 we've raised and we're going to buy this building for a million six and turn it into affordable housing. And, and that has to happen in eight weeks. Oh my goodness. Got everybody's attention. <laughs> got that accomplished. That's amazing. And Beacon's such a great organization. It is. It's great. It's been very interesting. They've really focused on people that are not only needing housing, but needing services and supports. Right. We do um, done some some um, donations and things for the 66 West Project. Yeah, right. you know, and with the youth. excited about that. That had a lot of opposition going. Yeah. yeah. I remember that Nicholas Square building, which is right. a building for homeless youth in South Minneapolis. Uh, the plan was, of course, from a committee where we're going to have a nice housing, but then we're going to have a business on the first floor that employs those folks and teaches them how to work. You know, work. Yeah. And I very intentionally strictly said yeah, and on the board, I said, well, that's that's good, but that might not happen. And you know, the restaurateur is it's a tough business and they can't just sort of carry the weight. To, so I made all these warnings and sure enough, Restaurant guy's been there for like 10 years, butter bakery, and he does exactly that. That's amazing. Sometimes when you dream, the dreams come true. Now, not always. I'm not some optimist, but that's kind of a It fun. took a while to find that, that right tenant for that space. It's, it's exactly. empty for a little while. And, a very, and, un, very unusual person, yeah. Yeah, that's exceptional. That's amazing. What a great story. I love that. And, you know. What a great legacy that you've created with that organization alone, not to mention all the other things that you do. Yeah, we've now uh, just recently started construction on yet another affordable housing project. We do both market rate and right? And I'm sure you've been in the old Perkins on south of 94 at some point. Oh. At, uh, in Seward. Yeah. Right near the co-op. Yeah. I'd hate to say it to you, but the restaurant is in Pine Bend. <laughs> It's no longer <laughs> there, and there's 155 units going up there. So. Wow. You know, are you still able to make development work? I mean, a lot of developers have just kind of sat, you know, last year with interest rates and costs, and a lot of people are sitting on the wayside just thinking, waiting for things to kind of change. Are you, You're still able to make projects work? Half of our buildings we built and half we bought. 
Okay. So really is I turn that question around, you know, what does the market want us? How can we development? Well, you do what the market's telling you to do and then you stay in business. And, uh, you know, the whole world is real estate, literally. You know, this is the pitch you make to your clients too. So there's always something that is available that uh, you know, can be a successful real estate project. You just have to figure out which one. And I'd say the ratio, even the sophistication we have after being at this for almost 40 years, you got to look at 30 to find one. And I'm sure with your history, which isn't 40, but it's pushing that direction, <laughs> you know, is uh, that same sense that there's always an opportunity out there. Yeah, but absolutely. But you, you get stuck. We got to build every time. And right now would be a difficult time to build. Yeah. Construction prices way up. And I think it's a bigger issue than the price of money, which is still much higher. But I remember doing development. And the interest was 8%. Yeah, or 18%. Yeah, or I did sort of slow down when it got to the teens. <laughs> so I think it's uh, just finding the right one. Yeah, you know, I really feel I have a sense that last year people really were trying to figure out what was happening and kind of were slowing, really slowed down. And going into this year, it's a totally different energy. We have, there's just a lot of people who are saying, okay, this is the new reality. We're going to figure it out, and we can't not do anything. So I feel like this year is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, we've got 550 tenants, and we're down to maybe 87% occupied, and we were at 92. You really want to be at 100 because you always want to be filling something. So definitely had an impact, but I've been, I was surprised that the, the office buildings, even in the city that have surface parking, I think pretty well. It's not... Big vacancies. We keep reading about all the empty stuff, and it's not just in cities. It's as spirits from Egan. Right. A lot of empty stuff out there, but it goes a lot. Come back. I think uh, the more challenging issue is change in attendance, particularly hurting downtown because it's going to be a little more inconvenient and expensive. Locate there as an office employee. You're sitting in your pajamas in your in your bedroom. Yeah, maybe that's. I talked to a lot of uh, people that age, you know, in their thirties. Because you think, well, wouldn't they want to be with others? And some are pretty happy with yeah that kind of casual, unusual lifestyle. I don't know how to predict how that's going to end up. Yeah, I think that um, the trend now is we're seeing a lot of companies saying you're coming back to the office. You know, the UPS in in Atlanta has said. They're, everybody's going to be back in the office five days a week. And uh, Wells Fargo is saying the same thing that spring, they're going to bring everybody back. So I think, you know, different companies are doing different things, but I think there's going to be a lot more flexibility for employees going forward. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. No, I don't. I think people uh, can be productive in a lot of different ways. Yeah, exactly. What do you have planned? You're, you're building a, another project. Where do you see the next few years of uh, with Wellington's empire? It'll keep growing. We, don't try to grow too fast. I mean, one reason I think the state of Minnesota does well is it's not this, you know, 5% a year kind of growth where everything is more challenging. It's, uh, you know, 1% to 3% of employment growth, and then I think our company resembles that. We have a big portfolio. So the most important thing is looking after what we got and making sure that it's working well and 
meeting the needs of our tenants. Uh, we have a lot of small businesses working, and I do expect we'll expand uh, probably more slowly in the office area, but industrial is very strong, as you know, and uh, retail is always very creative, but uh, we're seeing a lot of activity on the retail side. Yeah. That's kind of your bread and butter, and I'm sure it's, it's fine active. for you because, yeah, you're seeing all these up. Yeah. And we just finally got that yum kitchen uh, installed in a building 25 years ago, but they renovated it out in Woodbury. And they're doing just huge volume. It's really big volume. So everybody's not sitting at home eating TV dinners. They're enjoying getting out, seeing people. Yeah. Restaurants are doing well. COVID was hired, but as I told you before we started this, uh, there were, gosh, I bet there were. 7,800 people at that theater seeing Funny Girl last night. They're all eating downtown and enjoying it, so there's opportunities in the downtown. Yeah, it's starting to kind of feel like it's the turn, but it takes a long time to rebuild and you know readjust to such a big transition. So Then you think, what else have we ever done in Minneapolis? Back 100 years, and everything's built. Right. So we have to kind of keep... And we bought a perfectly good office building in the, in the Memphis Park in 2008, 60,000 feet. It was leased up, and it was working well. And then it started, lose a tenant here, lose a tenant there, and, and lose a big tenant. And that's out in Pine Bend, and we've got 231 new apartment units there right off of 62 across from Op- Optum, you know, the right. company right around the corner. Yeah. And uh, we uh, opened that up last spring, and it's quarters leased and headed for big groups. That's great. But yeah, you Re- do. Redevelopment way out there in Minnetonka, not. Yeah. You know, just really looking at how to maximize the real estate is kind of, I think, your genius, right? You know, just looking yeah, at. Well, tell me about it, because I was, oh, I needed a psychiatrist when I was tearing down that building. Oh, really? Tear it down? <laughs> what are you doing? It was logic that to really hard to knock it down. It's not that old, still functional. But the, the right thing to do. The market tells you. You got to listen. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's. If you're in denial. Like my neighbor out there next door is like, he's going to wait long enough to make it happen. Yeah, you know when when things get challenging, denial is is you know kind of the nail in the coffin. I think you know you gotta. Mm-hmm. Through the different downturns, it's really interesting to watch. You know how people respond to that. And so, do you remember the five stages of grief? Yes. <laughs> Anger, denial, right, bargaining, you know, all these things. We change your ways. You know, it's hard to do. Yeah. Get angry for a little while. That doesn't. That doesn't. Yeah. So, what's next? And you, you know, we've talked a little bit about that, but um, what do you, what, what's Gets you excited these days. You've been doing this a long time. It's hard to stay excited about things. It's just new stuff. I mean, there's new needs out there. We're uh, visiting with a group that is concerned about people with disabilities needing housing. Hmm. It's up our alley. That's not a new idea. I'd used to fund that with those two programs, and then it stopped. And this particular group is more focused on folks on the autism spectrum. Okay. Those young people that are coming out of schools, we have... Uh, schools, charter schools that are oriented toward kids with autism. Lionsgate is the 
sponsor of both one is in Minnetonka, one is in Shoreview. And this has been very impressed with how they've dealt with a very wide range of disabilities and made a lives for those. But uh, their families are still, well, what's next? You know, where are they going to live? God, where they can your transit. Or looking at a particular site, and if we could get that kind of launch, that would be a nice endeavor for sure. So there's always something that is, and the needs are enormous. You know, most of those kids are living with their folks. And their yeah, it's, yeah. And, and some of them are low income, and some of them are more middle income. Want to have a life as well, so. right? Be able to get something in that direction. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good. And we have about two hundred thousand feet empty. Uh, what we need is a really good broker, you know, to you know find a. I might know one. On the, <laughs> yeah, somehow to get her off the street and uh, work and hard, and uh, you know, it's on a fourteen-acre site behind T one, uh, Target and Roseville. Really, right across from Rosedale. Who's trying to reinvent itself? That's a great example. That's not an easy. And they've done a really stellar job. But they're not done. They're kind of working through that, right? Yep. Absolutely. So we have that uh, old uh, Department of Education building, that State Farm built years ago. Interesting. Largely single level. It's 14 acres and in the middle of town at 36. Hmm. I'm sure we'll be doing something of that one. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. My skateboard to get from one end to the other. That's fun. Yeah. Um, little segue. <laughs> so, you know, housing, not, and we're not shy about office buildings. And then, you know, retail is uh, still very dynamic. And some of those, we have some land in Blaine that we have been uh, gradually filling. We one strip center up there that's all filled up and you know, generating $30 net rents. It seems happy with it. Another possibility. Retail and daycare coming. It's just kind of booming out there in Blaine for sure. I'm looking for a drive through for a bank in Blaine. So. Good. We've got the, we can talk we've about the space that. for you. <laughs> uh, well, it's been so fun to chat with you. This is so great. Um, Fantastic. You have kind of your hands all over the place and what you've done, I'd say quietly. I mean, you're just Not you're, making noise, right? Your empire is is so impressive, and you know all the things that you've done are. We have many opportunities for you as well, Lisa. All right. Well, we're we, dependent on brokers at creativity and insight. That you well, I love. Uh, I'd love to do more with you and and with David, and um, we should uh, we should keep working together. Absolutely. With it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Lisa. Thank you for listening to this episode of People, Places, and How We Use Spaces. I am business owner, broker, commercial real estate investor, and your host, Lisa Christensen. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. To connect with me or the guests on today's show, shoot me an email at lisa at christensenandco.com. That's lisa at christensen, the word and, co.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.